Lord, you're just so good. Wow, Lord, thank you for this incredible worship. God, I'm so grateful to be able to have a voice to sing. Lord, I'm so grateful to, Lord, to be able to, to be with such gifted leaders that just lift up your name, but not just gifted singers, Lord, but just worshipers. Lord, I love the way the leaders on this platform just, just reach out to you and touch you. And thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be led in worship tonight. Lord, the name of Jesus really is all we need, and yet we live like we need so much more. Help us, Father, really hear that from your word and then live that in the power of your spirit. God, you have worked here in our lives. God, I'm so grateful to have been a part of what you've done the last few nights, Lord, to, Lord, to watch last night as, as, as so many took a seat in their own Jesus chair and, and said like a man on the other side of, of the world did just recently, I... I want to sit my life in the Jesus chair and be all in. Uh, but Lord, there's, there's others, Lord, who are not far from there. And this might be the night. This might be the night that changes everything. Lord, there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know you, but they're thinking. They're wondering if this could be real. And I pray that, Lord, as we finish together tonight, Lord, I pray this is only just the beginning of what you're going to do in and, and through us. And Lord, I have a sense that we'll be together again. Lord, you're, I think you're bonding hearts together here this week. But until then, Lord, I pray what you do tonight would propel us, Lord, from this place to be the leaders you're looking for. You are looking. You're, you're looking for a man. You're looking for a woman. You're looking for a young person that's fully ready to be used. And then you will use them. Here we are, Lord. I'd like to be that man. Somebody here, Lord, is ready to be that woman. Somebody is ready to be that young person. Here we are, Lord. We're waiting on you. Would you speak to us now and move in mighty power? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Man, look at this full house tonight. Y'all doing well? Had a good day? It's been a great day for, uh, for me. One of the things that's great about it is, there he is. I see my brother and my niece here. I'm so excited. Michael and, and Emma, would you wave? Right back here is my brother and my niece, and I'm so glad they're here tonight, and uh, I don't get to be with them very often, and those of you that have been here before have already talked a little bit about my, uh, my brother and then found out that uh, you know, he's a pediatric intensive care specialist and found out that he helped save the life of one of you here and uh, trained another one uh, here as a physician. And, and so it's, it's just really, really cool to have him here. But more than that, it's a man who loves Jesus and a young lady with a big old heart of passion for Jesus. And uh, I'm privileged to have him uh, as, my, as my family. Okay, um, I, I want to do this before we get, get started. I want to invite you to the mission field. All right, I'm going to invite you to the mission field and I'm not being symbolic, I'm being literal. As I've told you, uh, about a month ago, the Lord called us to leave everything behind that we had known and, and, and loved in our normal life and uh, to take on this new um, uh, position uh, of service and leadership. And um, virtually everyone um, at Life Action does the same thing. Um, I told our, uh, our young millennials who are, there's probably, what, 70 or or more of them right now in different places in the in the country, serving the Lord through life action and serving churches. And and uh, I, I I told them 
Um, we're going to do the same thing you do. If you raise your own support, my wife and I going to raise our own s- support. And, and to, to, to see this ministry and to see them, what they do, and, and to, to do it with such faith, I, I feel so extraordinarily blessed to serve. But there are needs all over the place in our ministry, and maybe you're one to meet them. You know, maybe, maybe you thought you were coming to three days of revival, and what revival means for you is you're being called as a missionary. And so I offer you a job right now, okay? You ever come to church and were offered a job? I offer you a job. I don't know what it is, but I know the salary, it's nothing. I know some things we need. We need a marketing director. We need a a, a senior accountant. Um, and, and here's what we need. Every August, we gather together a whole bunch of young adults. Some of them do gap year after high school before they start college. Some of them skip a year. Some of them finish college and say, I'll do it then. And uh, some of them start for a year and end up there two years, three years, four years. I think one's ended up there, oh, something like 20-something years because they just can't get enough of what happens when you get to serve the Lord the way we do at, at Life Action. What we do is we bring in a team, and we do everything for a church, everything that you can do for four days, eight days, or 15 days. We let you choose. And uh, the pastor, the worship pastor, the, um, uh, the children's staff, the preschool staff, the uh, student staff, everybody gets to step back and go, you know what, we're going to meet with God right now. And life action is going to take care of everything else. So we basically have a children's camp, and you don't have to go away. You're right, right there in your church. We have a student camp, and you don't have to go away. We do it right there in your church. And you have a worship team on the platform that didn't know each other before they came to our camp to train for the summer. And by the time it gets to August, they are a tremendous worship team leading in worship. And basically, they're all young adults. And so if you have a heart to work with students, if you have a heart to work with children, if you love little kids and you'd like to work with preschoolers, if you play an instrument, if you lead worship, if you're a singer, I'd like to know about you. And so at the end tonight, I'll be back there at the book table. And if you're just interested in what that would mean, just come by. I'll give you a card. I forgot almost everything else. I'm new to all this. Donna said, you didn't bring anything with you to get? I said, no, I forgot it all. But uh, I do have cards, and I'll give you a card, and you contact me. And we'll get with you, get you an audition, get you information. If you're wanting, wanting to, to a tour with our teams, we go from about August until about May, and we only break for, um, for holidays. And imagine this, maybe the Lord would call you to do this. We have, we have some who God calls out to preach, to teach, and to lead who are not young millennials. They're families, and they live in a life-action-owned motorhome pretty much all year long, and they travel, and we turn the church parking lot into a RV park for a little while, and, and, and they, they lead our teams, and they're amazing, and they have children. You know what? We've got teachers that travel with us for a year and teach the children. So uh, you might be going, oh, no, I didn't know I was going to have to make a decision about going to the mission field here tonight, but you just might. Maybe the Lord will speak to you and call you for a year or a lifetime. And if you're interested, you come talk to me afterwards. It's, it's, it's an incredible life. We've just started it, but we're very, very excited to be uh, a part of it. I want to tell you, I love, I love these two churches that are gathered together. You guys are, are awesome. I've had a chance to meet with, uh, with the staff of Mount Airy and, and to meet with Keith and Dave. And, and uh, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to, to go home. You guys are, are full of love commitment, passion. Uh, you've been wonderful um, to me, and, and I, just, I just thank you 
And, uh, and it, if y'all will have me back, I will look so forward to being back with you again. Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10. And we'll get there in a minute. Let me tell you what we're going to talk about tonight. We've seen God work this week. Um, my desire is never to manipulate anything. We've just opened the door and allowed the Lord to do whatever He wanted to do in you. And many of you have expressed that God has, has done remarkable things in your, in your life. I don't know who's putting things on YouTube, but I'm getting people calling who don't go to this church and contacting me and, and, and saying, uh, wow, God is at work in that church. They've been watching in other places. And, uh, and, and now what do we do from here? Well, I want to tell you, I believe that God is here tonight looking for men and women and young people who are ready to be all-in servants and followers of Jesus, and he will then make you a leader. You see, a leader is not somebody with a position. A leader for Jesus is somebody who's first a servant and then a follower. Leadership for Jesus starts down here. Remember remember we talked about Jesus on his knees washing out the, the gunk and the crud and the sewage from in between the toes of his disciples because nobody else would do it? That's where leadership starts. When you start down here on your knees and you're ready to be a servant and the Lord sees that, and then you stand up and, and you say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to follow you and serve you wherever you go, whatever it means. If you're going there, that's where I want to be. And I want to go with you wherever you go. Then the Lord says, now there's someone who's ready to lead. There's someone who I can use. And he wants tonight to choose and pick out men and women and young people. And he's not stingy. He'd love to pick you all out if you're ready. And he'll raise you up to lead. And he'll use you for movements of his spirit in your schools. He'll use you in your homes. He'll change your marriages and your families and your parenting. He'll use you in your work. He'll show you new things you've never seen before. You'll become a part of the great story of the gospel. He'll do all that if you're ready and you desire him to do it. But when I was at um, the North American Mission Board, 38 years of, of ministry, three have been spent as a missionary, and now the rest of them will be spent as a missionary. But when I was at the North American Mission Board, I was able to travel to literally every state in Canada and, and see our churches and much of that was wonderful and a blessing, but it was also very frightening because I began to fear that most Christians, most Baptists, actually live like practical atheists because I would come in and I would talk to pastors and they, I would say, what are you dealing with? And they would say, oh, church fusses and fights about everything. They, you know, they just color the carpet, sound of the music, all, all, all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking, We've, we, have a, we have a lost world they don't care about any of that stuff. And, and, and we, we, we're going we're gonna to do that? That's, that's our response to Jesus and his call to love each other? That unity is to be the mark of the body of Christ? And then to go and, and to serve and love the lost? This is the way we do it? And, and, and I just saw such a deep-rooted spiritual immaturity. I began to fear that what we really were were practical atheists, that most of us say we believe in Jesus, but what we really mean is we want him to bless us, and if he doesn't bless us, well, maybe, maybe we don't really believe in him after all. And so out of that, I, I, God gave me this idea of a book called If God Were Real. And some people really questioned that title when it came out. What do you mean he, he is real? But my point in, the, in that title is saying, well, how would you live if he were real? 
If, it were, if we really believed the things we say we believe about prayer, how would we pray? If we really believed that every single person you know and everyone you don't know will either spend eternity with God or without him in heaven or in hell, we say we believe these things, but what would be different if we really believed it? And so out of that, I wrote that, and, and over the years since I've written that book, I, I, I preach that topic in different ways almost every chance I get. Because if God has come, if you drew that circle around yourself we talked about, and, and if you're going to be able to leave here tonight, and you've already experienced new life, authentic revival in your heart, or you do tonight, the question is then, what now? And the answer to that is, it's time to live like God's real. It's time to be the church. It's time for you to be the follower of Jesus that he's looking for. The Lord is going to and fro throughout the earth looking for a man or a woman or a young person whose heart will totally belong to him. And then he's going to use you and you're going to be his leader. Even when you don't think you're able, even when you don't think you're capable. We have dropped the ball badly in the church. My generation has messed it up pretty badly. But there's still time to pick it up. All right, football trivia. How many of you are football fans? You really love football. I'm a crazy, crazy football fan. Football trivia. Let's see. You can raise your hand, see if anybody, anybody knows it. What was the most lopsided football game in history at any level, high school, college, or pro? I know my brother knows the answer to this, but uh, does anybody think you know? Raise your hand. Yes, sir. What was it? Georgia Tech, you're right. Anybody know the score? Anybody know the score? What? No, you missed it. You were so close. Anybody know, think you know the score? Who knows? Yes, sir. 222 to nothing. He wins the prize. Yes, sir. Well, nobody's really excited about that, but... Uh, but uh, Actually, there is no prize, but congratulations. Anyway, all right, 222 to nothing. Georgia Tech beat Cumberland University October the 7th, 1916. And it stands to this day as the most lopsided football game of history. When you read the story of that game, it's really a hilarious story. Cumberland really didn't have a football team. But if they played Georgia Tech, which was a national powerhouse, they got paid. And so the school decided, hey, we think we'll form a football team. When they formed the team, some of them didn't know what a football was. They'd never seen a football. They became a football team and had to play one of the powerhouse teams in the country. You know why I love this story so much? Because our dad, my brother and I's dad, our hero of our life, played football for Bobby Dodd at Georgia Tech. Isn't that cool? And so he told us this story from the time we were children. There are stories that came out of that story that are absolutely hilarious. So, for instance, in the second half, uh, Cumberland was already behind 100 and something to nothing, and uh, Georgia Tech was just mangling them. They were hurting them. You know, it just, it, these boys did not know how to play football, and Georgia Tech had one of their many, many kickoffs. And a man who went on to become a prominent attorney, his name was, they called him Bird Patey, P-A-T-Y. You can Google it yourself. Bird Patey is to receive one of Georgia Tech's many kickoffs. All right, the ball is in the air. He's looking down, and here come all these Georgia Tech monsters that are going to crush him, and he fumbled the kickoff, and it bounced over to his teammate, and the teammate sat there looking at it, and Bird Patey said, pick it up, and the guy said, you dropped it. You pick it up. <laughs> That is an absolutely true story from the worst football game of all time. Look, 
I'm kind of a student of church culture. I could sit here and tell you how we've dropped the ball. Um, I could explain to you all of the ways we've messed it up since the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s where, where young people and the hippies, you remember the hippies? They were coming to Jesus left and right and our, our churches held them at arm's length. Evangelist Jay Strack told me once that um, way back then about uh, 10 Southern Baptist churches, he called 10 churches to say, I, I've got 50 hippies that have come to Jesus, and uh, I, I want to br- bring them to church. You know, they, they don't really know how to dress. They may, not, may come in barefoot. I, I don't know. And nine of the 10 said, do not bring them. Okay. So there's all kinds of ways over the years that we've dropped the ball as the church. The question is, who's going to pick it up? Okay. The Lord is bouncing the ball of the gospel right in front of you today. And if you want to, you get to pick it up and get in the game. But let me just warn you, there's some monsters coming at you. They're, they're, they're really tough. But, but let me tell you this. You don't have Cumberland University protecting you. You have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit of God, the power that flung the stars into the universe is in front of you. You do not have to be afraid. But you do have to decide to pick up the ball. And that's up to you. In Acts chapter 10, the whole world changes. In Acts chapter 10, you and I get saved. Anybody here from a Jewish background? Nobody. Every other one of us gets saved because of Acts chapter 10. You know why? Because Jesus told his disciples, spread out. Get out of here. Yeah, you can start in Jerusalem and then get, get on out of here. Go, go everywhere. Go to the ends of the earth. Go to everybody. Go to make disciples of everybody. And they... Figured he must have meant all Jews, and they kind of hung around. But in Acts chapter 10, the Lord's kind of tired of that, and he, he, he works a miracle and breaks those barriers forever so that we now know Jesus. Listen to what happens. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man, it means a spiritual man, who feared God with all his household, gave alms, offerings generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. This is a man who's just walking around. He's a centurion. He's a warrior. He's commanding a hundred other warriors. If you were a Roman centurion, you were a brutal hand-to-hand assassin. You could kill a man with your sword. You could knock him senseless with your shield. You could kick him with your boot and kill a man with your boot. You could strangle him with your bare hands. And this centurion is also a man of a gentle heart who every day is crying out to God everywhere he goes. Wow. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, I guess so, and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, imagine, you imagine the Lord saying this to you? Your prayers and your alms, your offerings, have ascended as a memorial before God. Here is this guy, he's not a Jew he hasn't, even, he hasn't even made his spiritual decision yet, really, as we'll see in a moment. He, he's a spiritual seeker. He loves the Lord, but he, he's not even become a Jew. He's still trying to figure all of this out. And God, he's seeking God, but now he finds out God has been seeking him. God's been looking for him. And the angel says, hey, the Lord has seen you. He's looking for you. He's seen you. Wow. Imagine that, being sought after by the king of the universe. Who's God looking for? 
I mean, if you want to be that man, if you want to be that woman, if you want to be that young person that goes from here and continues the work that God has begun and the church is here tonight and in your own heart, well, then what decision do you need to make tonight? Who's God looking for? Let's learn that from Cornelius. He's looking for warriors who fight on their knees. He's looking for warriors who fight on their knees. There was a historian named Polybius, and he wrote about the centurion, the Roman centurion, and what kind of man he was. Listen to this. When overwhelmed and hard-pressed, the centurion is able to stand fast and die at his post. All right? I've heard people that seem to think that prayer is some kind of weakness, that you spend all your time on your knees talking to God, and it's some kind of weakness. This was... This was no weak man. This was a warrior prayer. A man who could stand at his post no matter what comes and even die there. And yet the scriptures say his prayer, his prayers lifted up like an offering to God. Now the word offering is referring back to Leviticus chapter 2 verse 2 when the Levitical law is being given, and it talks about having this memorial offering, this incense that rises up to God. So everybody reading this, understand what the angel meant. What the angel was saying is, your prayers, your very life, your offering of yourself and of your possessions as a Roman, the people, there was a centurion at the cross, remember? The, The very people who crucified Jesus, and here's this one who is seeking God with all of his heart, said, I I don't really get you, Lord. I'm not a Jew. You're the God of the Jews. I'm not a Jew. I don't get all about you, but I know, I know you're real. I know you're real. I'm going to live like it. I'm going to give like it. I'm going to function like it. I'm going to, I'm going to go after you. And, and God says, oh, that smells so good to me. The aroma of your life is rising up to me. And Who knows what kind of life this man had lived. Centurions were not known for being the most moral of people. Likely lived a very rough life. But something had called him to God. And if something's calling you, your very life could be a sweet aroma to the God who made everything. I don't know about you. That is so powerful to me. It is so enticing to me. I I don't want my life to stink before God. I I want to be that aroma, but I know know what I smell like on my own. It's nasty, and I don't want to be that, and I don't have to be that. But the aroma of my life changes when I hit my knees. God is not so interested as we saw the other night. Sometimes he says, stop praying. He's not so interested in just more prayer. He's interested in warriors who pray. He's interested in those who believe in him enough, who believe he's real in such a way that you will battle upon your knees. I want you to think about it. Have you battled for your children, parents? My wife had a, um, a life verse for each of our children, but she didn't tell them what it was. She just prayed it on her knees over them. Until they became adults. And then she would frame that life verse and give it to them. And it is astonishing. My wife puts me to shame as a prayer warrior. It is astonishing how, how our children have become what, our, what their mother prayed over them. 
how she hit her knees and never told them what she was praying and cried out to God to form them into his image according to that scripture. And that's exactly what God did because a warrior woman prayed. I want to tell you, have you seen that movie Wonder Woman? My wife is Wonder Woman. I get to be married to Wonder Woman. You can be a warrior who prays if you want to. You can. Husbands, you ever battled for your wife? You ever battled for your wife? We almost lost our marriage. Our marriage was the pits. My wife had a wrecked life growing up, and I did not know how to lead her, and I was a terrible spiritual leader, and I never really fought for her on my knees. I fought with her. I wanted to win the war. I wanted to win the arguments. I wanted to win the battles. But I didn't fight for her. My wife and I teach something called valiant marriage out of the disaster that our marriage was in the early days. We didn't tell anybody. I was a pastor. We didn't tell our family. I was ashamed, but I didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't want to be in this marriage anymore. But, you know, the real spiritual reason why we didn't divorce, well, I'd lose my job. That was all it was to it until the Lord stepped in and changed us. And when he changed us, I'm ashamed to say he changed my wife first, and she became a servant. And it broke my heart that I wasn't a spiritual leader. And then someone coached me and said, why aren't you praying over your wife? Do you not believe in prayer? Your marriage is in trouble and you're not praying over your wife? So when we pray, we pray. No, no, no. I mean, well, when's the last time you prayed like a warrior over your wife? Uh, that would be never. Husbands, is your wife face every day without a warrior praying for her? If you're dating somebody, don't date somebody you can't pray for. I counseled somebody the other day. He's a strong Christian. He said, uh, I said, do you, you pray together? Well, not yet. We're not married yet. I said, break up. Do something else. If you, can't, if you can't pray over her, do not date her anymore. If she don't want to be prayed over, run for your life. Men, why don't you try this tonight? Before your wife goes to bed, why don't you say, honey, you've had the last day of your life where you will not have a warrior praying over you. Then you put your hands on her shoulders and you say, God, this is the woman you gave me. And the enemy's after her. And in the name of Jesus, I pray protection over her. I pray the power of God over her. I pray tomorrow, Lord, you defend her and walk with her. In Jesus' name, amen. Anything like that, doesn't it be eloquent? Anything like that. Just, just do it. She may, she may, different, different women will react different way. Do it every day. Do it when you fuss. You know how hard it is to fight with somebody when you're praying over them? It's really hard. My wife and I have a great marriage now. We don't fight much anymore. But when we really, really fight, she, she gets mad. And, and it's, it's always her fault. And I don't understand why she can't get that. But when, you know, when she won't apologize, you know, I have to, all right? And, and I have to figure out how to do it. And I know we've got to pray over her. But this is, she, she'll tell you. She, she, I shouldn't do it, but I do. She'll go in that bedroom, and she's mad. And we used to do this all the time when our marriage was troubled. But sooner or later, I, I say, you know what? I'm the leader. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. And I get up, and I go in there, and, and I say, honey, I'm going to pray. But I don't want your prayers tonight. I say, I'm, I'm sorry. You don't have that choice. You see, I'm a warrior, and tonight I... I fought you, and that's not what I should have done. But now I'm going to fight for you. I don't want you to pray for me. You know? Jesus, and I start to pray. <laughs> the tears come, <laughs> and the embrace comes, and God heals us, and I won't tell you anything more after that, all right? Because 
You want a romantic marriage? Pray over your wife, guys. They find it real romantic, you'll find out. But more important than that, God finds it to smell really, really good. Guys, if, uh, if you got a phone call, you're at work, and it's your wife, and she goes, help me, help me. Someone's broken in. I think he's going to rape me. Click. What would you do? You'd say, I wish I could do something, but i got so much to do today. I just have to stay right here, you know. No, you'd call 911 while you're on the way home to kill him, right? You'd kill him with your bare hands, knife, gun, club, anything. It, 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 and it wouldn't matter if you got a good marriage or bad marriage. Someone's trying to harm your wife. Do you not know there is an enemy in your home right now coming after your wife and children and you won't fight for them? What if you will? What if you did? What if you started? Grandparents, fight for your grandchildren. Fight for your church. Pray like warriors. God's looking for that man. He's looking for that woman. He's looking for that young person. And when he finds you, he's going to make you a leader. He's looking for leaders who pioneer movements. Leaders who pioneer movements. Cornelius broke the mold. He just flat broke the mold altogether. The, um, the name Cornelius is very interesting. Um, there was a man named Cornelius Sula who lived, oh, maybe 100 years before this Cornelius. And um, he freed 10,000 slaves. You know what the slaves did? In honor of him, they all took his name. So there were 10,000 freed slaves named Cornelius. And they would pass that on. Many of you'd have Cornelius II, Cornelius Jr., Cornelius III, Quattro Cornelius. It just kept on going. And, and, and so everybody named Cornelius was a descendant of, Corn, of, of the man who, um, who freed them. That's the way they viewed it. So this Cornelius had heard all the stories of freedom. He knew that his relatives, his ancestors had been slaves, but he knew now he was free. And so now he was going after freedom. He was going after spiritual freedom. Look at, look at chapter 10, verse 22, all right? And, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. What's he talking about? Well, here's what happens in this whole story. This angel comes to Cornelius and tells him to send for Peter. Well, Peter still thinks if you're not eating the right stuff that you can't be saved. So meanwhile, an angel appears to Peter and says, eat, eat this stuff that you think is unclean. He goes, I'm not going to eat that. And he says, the Lord says, don't you call something unclean that I've called clean. And about the time the dream ends, the angel says, hey, some folks are showing up at your door. Go with them. And that's how Peter winds up going to Cornelius's house. And he finds a man who says is upright, God-fearing, well-spoken of by everybody. All of this. So, do you not find it unusual that Cornelius had not converted? He, he didn't become a Jew. I wonder why. Well, what was Judaism like in that day? Well, I mean, think of the Pharisees. Think of the Sadducees. It was a, it was a sick movement. There were people... Um, among the Jews who were looking for the Messiah. But what I imagine happened is Cornelius is going, you know, the God of the Jews, yes, but the religion itself, no, no, there's something, there's something missing. I'm looking for freedom. I'm looking for liberty. I'm looking for, for real. I'm looking for, for authentic. He had the eyes of a pioneer. Are you looking for what God wants to do and not just for religion? Are you just coming to church because you're supposed to? Do you ever pray, God, what do you want to do with my day at school today? 
What do you want to do with my day at work today? How do you want to use me today? Give me Jesus' eyes. Lord, is there a movement you want to use me to pioneer? Just me? If there is, Lord, show me. Show me. Show me. And you know what happens when you become that warrior on your knees? And on your knees, you're saying, Lord, make me a pioneer. I don't want to settle for religion. I want an authentic relationship with you. I want to see what you're doing. I want to pursue you. Then God's found somebody he can use. My wife, I love to brag on her, she, she combined on your knees being a warrior with looking for what God is doing for the next great movement. My wife always believed that Jesus was going to save her daddy. Jesus was going to save her daddy. Her father was the worst man I ever knew. I, I, I would forbid him from coming to our house after a while. He had so many different women. He abandoned my, my wife when she was a child. I couldn't understand. How could anybody abandon this precious woman? And her, her mother went, went nuts and abandoned her too. It, it just was a terrible, terrible situation. And she basically raised herself as a teenager, but she never stopped praying for her daddy. And in our, in our church, back years ago, there was a prayer card for the sal- that she put in the prayer room for the salvation of her father. And I have the card. I forgot to bring it. I wish I could show it to you. It is, you can't read it anymore because it's completely black. So many people had signed their initials that they had prayed for his salvation. You can't see the initials anymore. You just see the black of so many people who prayed for him. I... I'm not the prayer warrior my wife was. I just was mad at him. I, he'd come to our house. We found out one time he came to visit. He never came to visit. He came, and then he called his wife. Hey, I'm at John and Donna's. I'm going, what's going on? He had a mistress down the road. He was using his daughter as an excuse to hide his affair. And I wrote him a letter. I said, never return to my family. You're not allowed in our house. You have missed out on the most wonderful young woman. Never want to see you again. But my wife is going, don't do that. Don't do that. God's going to save my daddy. He's going to save my daddy. We've got an accountability group. God's using these guys. They're all over the, 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 the country. Uh, these are men that I love like brothers. And uh, he brought us together to pray. And we, we determined we wanted to be a part of pioneering movements. We wanted, we wanted to see things that you don't normally see. We wanted to see the New Testament miracles. We wanted to see the adventure of following Jesus. And so we determined to cry out to God. Until we saw him move. All of us were a part of the Brownwood Revival. It was remarkable. But we also said we're going to pray for each other. And we're, we're going to pray for the biggest miracles in our life. So one of them, he's a professor at New Orleans Seminary now. Couldn't have children. And we prayed, God, open her womb. Give her children. And one day, we come to our prayer meeting time. And he said, guess what? We're, we're pregnant. They had not one. They had two children. When Katrina came, it wiped out. Um, New Orleans, they had to move to Atlanta, they moved into our home, and the little girls we prayed for would sit on my lap and I'd read them stories. Listen, it's so cool when you, when you, when you get to be a warrior on your knees and then you see God begin to move. Well, my wife's prayer was, I want to pray that my daddy will be saved. Well, the Brownwood Revival was on, I was traveling and speaking, her father never heard me preach. One day I was in Atlanta, we were living in Texas, I was in Atlanta, and um, Donna calls me and goes, guess what, guess what? My daddy's going to come here. you preach tonight. He's on a business trip in Atlanta, and he's going to come here. And I said, Donna, he is not going to come. He's a liar. He's a cheat. You know, he is not going to come. He's never come. He's going to hurt you again. And she said, shut up and have some faith and pray with me. Okay. So I did, and I told the pastor, I, Richard Lee, for Hoboth Baptist Church, I said, 
I don't know, would you pray for me? It's going to be hard for me to preach when my father-in-law doesn't show up in here, and I've got to tell my wife afterwards what's going on. And uh, we're about to preach, and he's not in there. And then just as I'm about to start, the door opens, and he comes in and sits on the back row. Believe Well, I wasn't preaching an evangelistic message. I was, I was telling the story of the Brownwood Revival. But at the end of it, I said, you know, we've had more people saved, I told you last night, than our churches have seen in in 10 years, and it could be your night. It could be your night. And my father-in-law stood up. I thought he was going to leave. He came down the middle aisle, and he began to walk, and he was shaking, and then I realized he was sobbing. And I ran down the aisle, and I met him halfway, and he fell in my arms. And he said, I've ruined my life and everyone in my life. Is there any way that Jesus could forgive me. And right there in the middle, no one knew what was going on in the middle of the, of the worst people staring. My father-in-law, who I hated, became my brother. And then what he said next shocked me. He said, I can't do this alone. I need immediate accountability. Would you tell everyone in here my story? I said, are you sure? Yes. The real story? Yes. He came up, sat down, I got up, and I said, I need to tell you a story. And I told him about the worst man I ever knew who had just become my brother, and we could not leave. God broke loose on that place, saving people, reviving people. We were there for hours. This was 1996. I didn't even own a cell phone. I think I had a bag phone in my trunk. But other than that, I didn't have a phone. And, and so, so I couldn't call my wife. Afterwards, we went, to the, we went out to, 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 to like the Waffle House to eat. And he told me all about my wife, things I'd never known from her childhood. And then he said, well, we, that, this, this lady's service, we ought to tell her about Jesus. And he shares his testimony about just being saved with a waitress at Waffle House. I'm just sitting there going, this is insane. I can't believe this is happening. I finally got back to the hotel room. I didn't, I'm trembling. I picked up the phone. I called my wife, and it went like this. Ring, hello. <laughs> she is sitting beside the phone. I said, honey? She goes, yes. I said, I don't know how to tell you this. You got a new daddy. <laughs> and she says, don't tease me. I said, honey, I would never tease you about this. Your daddy, it's real. He was gloriously saved. I mean, he, he asked me to tell everybody. The whole church knows, knows about it. Clunk, she dropped. I thought she passed out. I hear, I hear the phone hit the ground. But she didn't pass out. I hear her get up, and I hear her running down the hallway, and she's pounding on the door of my children's bedroom. Get up! Get up! Grandpa's saved! Get up! Grandpa's come to Christ! And my children get up, and I can hear the celebration in my home of my family celebrating a sinner come home to Jesus. One of the greatest days of my life happened because a woman wouldn't give up. She was a warrior on her knees, and she believed that God could move, and that the answer to her prayer could pioneer a movement, and God answered and he always will and he'll answer you too who's going to pray like that you know what happened to my father-in-law the worst man I know became the best man I knew he became a father to my wife he became a grandfather to my grandchildren and when he suddenly died our hearts were shattered we went 10 years with him and when I did his funeral he was a professor at Oklahoma State when I did his funeral I told the story and afterwards students were coming and going uh That can't be the same person. We know him. He could never have been. He was like a father to us. God utterly changed him. And there are people all over the world now influenced by this man. Movements, movements, movements happen when God's people are warriors on their knees and then rise up to follow him into movements. That's what Cornelius did. He broke all the mold. And because he did, everything changed. One more thing I want to show you. You want to be that leader God's looking for? 
then you have to be a follower first who hears God and acts. In verse 33, Peter's there, Cornelius, his whole family's there. He says, so I sent for you at once, Peter, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. The Spirit fell, the door to the world was open, and we heard Jesus because of it, because of one soldier 2,000 years ago. There is absolutely no limit on what God can do. And you forget about big crowds and how you're going to reach 1,000 people. Just Just get on your knees. Just believe that God is real enough to be a warrior who prays and then who stands up to be a pioneer who's open for God to move in any way. And then when you hear him, you act. When you hear him, you follow. When you hear him, you obey. Why? Because if you don't, he'll punish you? No. Why? Because if you don't, he won't forgive your sin? Do you know he's forgiven all your sin? I mean, by grace, he can't love you more than he already does. You're not going to impress him by doing these things. He just wants to know. If I'm going to pour my love out through somebody and use them in the world around them, do they love me? Will they follow me? Will they obey? I'll finish with this. I told you that the greatest revival in the history of the world is underway right now. I'm going to tell you a story that few people in the world have heard. I have to be very, very careful with it. Our missionaries whose salaries you pay have uh, talked carefully with me about how we tell this story so not to endanger people who are currently putting their life on the line for the gospel. So I can't say a lot of the details, but let me tell you what happened. In the Middle East, I have a friend. He's an incredible friend. He, um, his body is riddled with bullet holes. He witnesses in the Muslim world by lifting up his shirt. He says, this is what you've done to me but I love you. Would you like to know why? <laughs> Shirt down, shares the gospel. He's one of the most amazing people in my life, in anybody's life. They've tried to kill him so many times, we've all lost count. So far, he's still alive. One day he was preaching the gospel and a man came running to him <laughs> right in the middle of an ISIS territory, big black beard, a Muslim jihadist, and my friend said, well, I'm dead now. <laughs> this is it, he's gonna kill me. Probably got a knife in his belt. But he came to him and he said, I'm not going to harm you, but what is that name? What is that name? What does it mean? I think I know, because I've, I think I know, but I've never heard it before. And he was, he was referring to the name that in Arabic means Jesus. Not the name that Muslims use, but the name that, name that believers use for Jesus. And my friend said, well, what is so important about that name to you? He said, I've been dreaming every night. And in my dream, I see a man, and he says that this is who he is. He said, I'd never heard of this word. So he said, I was recently in another country on, in, for, for business, and he said, I, I got on the computer there and looked it up. And, uh, but it was blocked, and then the next day, secret police were at my door. He said, what is the deal with this name? And my friend shared with them the gospel and began to share with them day after day after day. And finally, the man who I'll call Hasim said, I must follow this man, Jesus. I must abandon everything that I've ever believed. I must abandon all my family traditions. 
He has appeared to me. He has shown himself to be real. And I must follow him. And he came to Christ as our brother in Christ. And he began immediately to share the gospel with everyone. And then he came to my friend and he said to my friend, you must come to my home on this particular day and time and you will baptize me and my wife. He said, we're inviting all of our friends, my former jihadist friends, to the baptism. And my friend said, I I cannot do that, Hasim. You will be murdered. I mean, like immediately and probably me too. And what Hasim said next, I want you to hear carefully. He said to my friend, well then, I love Jesus more than you do. That's it. That's it. You don't become this, this person like Cornelius was because it's the right thing to do or it's what a Christian would do or because God will punish you if you don't. No, you do it because you love Jesus. That's the only way that works. So my friend went to Hasim's house and when he got there, there were 30 pairs of shoes of sandals outside, 30 and he walked in, and he couldn't believe his eyes. Right in the middle was, was this big tub, this big tank they placed in the middle of his home. And there were 30 angry Muslims surrounding it, watching. And Hasim climbed in the water. And my friend, trembling, said, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, raised to walk in a new life. And he stood up, and he said, I am a follower of Jesus now for the rest of my life. His wife climbed in and said, this is a Jesus home now, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, raised to walk in a new life. That was around two years ago. Hasim lived two weeks. During those two weeks, he shared the gospel with everyone he could, and he told everyone he could, I love Jesus. I love him so much. I love him more than life. I love him more than anything. And two weeks later, that love led him to see Jesus face to face. You now take care of his widow, who is cared for with Southern Baptist money by our missionaries, and she is faithfully serving the Lord. This is not hearsay. I've been there, been in that place many times. Two years later, which happened to be just a couple of months ago. I was back there. And I sat down with some of the most courageous people on the face of the earth. And I said, I'm just curious. Do we have any idea of any good thing that may have come from Hasim's death? They looked at each other and they said, you know, it's probably time for this story to be told. We can't tell it, not with what we do for a living, but maybe we can figure out a way you can. He said, you see, we, um, we covered pretty well and we went back in to see if anything was left of the very few Christians who were there were run out, but so many had heard Hatsim's preaching, and they wondered, had anybody come to Christ? Has anything happened because one man loved Jesus enough to even die for him? And they said, John, uh, we went back in very carefully, and pretty soon we realized we didn't have to be that careful. We were looking for Christians we were looking for somebody that would come to Christ because of Asim's testimony. We didn't think there'd be any. We found 26. Oh, not Christians. 26 churches. Each one of them with a Muslim who had become a follower of Jesus and said, I'll be the pastor. And now, those 26 pastors 
are regularly saying, buried with Christ in baptism unto death and raised to walk in a new life. My point and God's point to you tonight is not, will you die for him? Because he's placed us in this country, I don't know why. Maybe someday we'll be called to do that. Maybe you'll go to the mission field and you'll be called to do that. But most of you, that's not the point tonight. The point is not will you die for him. The point is, will you live for him? Or will you live for your car, your vacation, your hobbies, or even good things, your children, wife? All those things can be taken from you. Or will you be willing to say, I love Jesus. And if you can't say that, would you say this? Jesus, I want to love you more. I want that tonight more than anything I can think of. I want to love you more. And that's it. If you tonight are willing to say, Lord, I don't know if I could die for you. But if you'll give me the power and the strength, I will live for you because I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Then he will come and he will find you and he will say to you like he said to Cornelius, you're a sweet-smelling aroma now and I'm going to use you in your schools, in your job, in your families, and your churches are not going to be the same. That's what revival is. That's what new life is. And that's what Jesus will do right now. Stand up with me if you would. God, I pray you just move and work. This is your time. In a few moments, we'll leave here and we'll go all over the place. And I pray that we will go from here as warriors on our knees, as leaders ready to pioneer movements, and then followers who will hear you and we will act. And for any of that to happen, we've got to love you. We've got to love you, Jesus. And I pray we do it now, now in Jesus' name.